Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit your excuse me. Wives, submit yourselves. Oh no, no, I got a frog. To your husbands, as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Fantastic. Thanks, Tim. I just get a lectern somewhere. Otherwise, I'll stand here all day with a Bible. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, thanks, Mel. What a big... Thanks for inviting me to the first week and then this passage like above, which is a bit tricky, and I hope we're going to learn a little bit more about marriage. And I'm conscious when you talk about marriage that it can be a painful thing. Because um, there are people here this morning who are married, people here who are not married, people here who were married, maybe single again, and, and uh, people have not had a good experience of that. And we need to understand that marriage is not the pinnacle of relationships. Jesus is the pinnacle of relationships. We need to understand that. That's important. And, and we sometimes give the impression in the church that, that kind of marriage is prize A and everything else is prize B. That is not true. That is not true at all. Um, Jesus, who walked the hills and flats of Galilee to bring hope and purpose to people and eventually walked to a cross and gave his life as the saviour of the world, was not married. Um, The Apostle Paul, who planted churches in Asia and Europe and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was not married. So don't think that's the pinnacle of life. Jesus is the pinnacle of life. We need to understand that. And we've got to make sure that sometimes overtly or covertly, we kind of give the impression that if you're not in that state, well, somehow you're less. It's not true at all. But we have come to the place of marriage, which is a crucial relationship. We need to focus on that and we have to talk about it because the scriptures talk about it, which is important. So we're talking about marriage. And I just wanted to just uh, make sure that was, the, uh, that was an event on the uh, 16th, better get this right, 16th of uh, December 1972, where those two people um, got married, I just had a haircut the day before, 
uh, just so you know. And in fact, I should have saved some because uh, it would have been really handy right about now. But, but uh, that, was, that was it. For those of you who are much younger, that photo was taken with a thing called a camera. And uh, inside that camera was a weird stuff called film. And they used to do that. And, and that was in the days when when the photographer wasn't quite as expensive as the honeymoon, but, but uh, that's changed, I think, a bit nowadays. So um, oh, t- there are two pictures of marriage in the Bible, both biblical, very clear. Um, the first one is we, we see it in Genesis. We, we know the story when God created the earth and, and all that was in it, and then on the day six he created mankind, male and female, he created them live in his image, and, and then that's chapter 1. And chapter 2 actually gives you um, a picture. Um, you know, the Bible says this, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. By the way, that word helper does not mean understudy. It doesn't mean, it means, it means helper. And it's the same word used of God in the Psalms. God is our present helper in times of trouble. So don't think it's a subordinate role. It's not at all. It's a, it's a helper. It's not good to be, for a man to be alone, just like it's not good for a woman to be alone. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man. And he brought it to the man. And he said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is the picture right in Genesis chapter 2 of what that relationship of marriage looked like, the aspirational view of marriage. That's how God designed it to be. It was a a leaving and cleaving relationship where you leave one primary relationship, as we see it today, you leave one primary relationship and you begin a second primary relationship. By definition, you can't have two primary relationships. So that's the whole thing of of marriage that, that God designed back then. That's one biblical picture of marriage. Really important biblical picture. Important. But there's a second biblical picture which is equally as biblical. And it's when two broken people come together who are in our world in which we live. Imperfect people with imperfect families of origin come together to commit their imperfections to one another for the rest of their lives. And it's equally a biblical picture. So if you like, we have a, a reality, I mean, a, a, an aspirational picture that we head towards it. God designed in the beginning of creation. And then we have the reality that we know is true because we know who we are. We are broken people. And we commit to another broken person in this relationship called marriage. And it's not perfect. It's not like that at all. You read what happens in Genesis 3. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord They'd, they'd fallen, you know the story, they'd been tempted and they couldn't withstand that temptation and they, they tempted and ate from, tr- from a fruit they shouldn't eat. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? As if God didn't know. Where are you? He answered. I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here, you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. 
The Lord God said to the woman, What's you? what is it you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's where the, the very first process of throwing someone under the bus began. <laughs> right there and then. In the brokenness of the garden. And we have this other picture, if you like, of, of uh, what happens. Let me try and depict it for you in, in maybe pictorial form with... Um, the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbirth, childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So part of the brokenness of that is people want to rule over one another. Husbands and wives want to rule over one another. That's, that's part of the brokenness. Ruling is not part of the um, creational choice. It's part of the brokenness. And the Adam, he said, I'm going to make you, oh, you can read it yourself, I'm going to make you a hard worker and there's going to be thorns and thistle, uh, thistles and, and uh, you know, it's just going to be hard work. So this thing called a curse happens to humanity and it happens within the bounds of marriage as well. And so our life is to trusting God to work in our brokenness to bring wholeness and healing and restoration and bringing marriages to a really good place that's the the point and so pictorially it's kind of like this in picture one um, you see God and man and woman and and there was a beautiful communion between God and man and God and woman and this relationship of marriage was cleaving and being at one with one another and you know that sort of wholeness that comes then you see the other picture, which is like this, where there's God, man and woman, and there's hiding and shame between man and woman and God, and there's blaming and ruling between man and woman. So you, both these pictures are very real. They're very biblical, both of them. Very important that we grasp that. And so I wanted to move through, just get that picture from the beginning, and move through to the scripture that Shane read for us, Today, and there's lots of scriptures we can look at. We're only going to begin to touch the surface of that. But this is the passage of scripture that has the, sometimes the most difficulty for people. It's a passage in, in Ephesians where we, uh, we see those two key words that pop up and cause us grief. And what do they mean? They're those two words of submission and headship. What do they mean in the marriage relationship? What do those two words mean? And it's really important that we grasp that. And we just don't take what we think they mean, but we actually take what they do mean. And so I'm not going to read it all now, but that's the, that's the, the, the passage that Shane read earlier, part of it, and we're going to read through it. Um, it's really important to understand this. I'm going to read this bit because, and it's, it's crucial. Be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because... The days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. To understand this passage of Scripture, we need to understand a little bit about grammar and a little bit about tenses. We... I've done funny things with grammar in this, in this period of time. Some people say things are so fun. Well, that's bad grammar. Well, we get it, and it just sort of shortens. Those of you who are teachers here will go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those of you who aren't go, who big, who cares? Um, so, but I, 
it's, 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 it's funny that we, we need to get that. And one of the things you need to understand in, in, in grammar, particularly in verbal grammar, is the tenses. And in this passage of Scripture, there is one imperative verb and four participles. And a participle is a filling out of the imperative. If I were to say to you, those of you with kids will know this. So if I said, um, um, clean your room. Clean up your room. That's the imperative. Making your bed, um, picking up your toys, putting your clothes, dirty clothes out to the wash. Uh, cleaning cleaning is, the, is the imperative. Picking up, putting out, and um, clearing your toys. They are the participles. They make up their main, main imperative. That's what it's like. Margot's nodding. That's good. And she's the principal of the school. So I'm so far on good ground. But, but, uh, so that's what it's like. Now, you've got to understand this passage of Scripture because the imperative is, you're going to see my great writing, which was ruined in university, the imperative, oh, that's terrible. We haven't got any cameras. I mean, that's good. The imperative is, um, do not be fooled, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the imperative. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God who dwells within you, allow Him to fill you. Allow him to impact every part of your being. And then there are four participles, four ing words. So that's the imperative. And then the four participles. And they are um, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Let's call that fellowship. Remember, Paul's talking about the church. Singing and making music from your heart. Let's call that worship. Giving thanks to God the Father for everything. So thanksgiving, generosity. Submitting to one another. That's a, that's a participle. It's not a main verb. Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ is a participle. So to be filled with the Spirit in, in the church and in marriage is to have good fellowship. The, the, the imperative is to be filled with the Spirit and the participles are speaking to one another in psalms and well, well speaking to each other giving thanks pray, giving praise and submitting to one another and then and then in in the book of ephesians paul gives examples of six groups of people husbands wives children parents slaves and, and masters of what this submitting looks like so don't take it out of context because very often we start reading this, chapter, this passage of Scripture in the next bit where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. There is actually in verse 21, which is the first bit up there, there is actually no verb. It's actually submitting to one another in reverence to Christ, wives to your husbands. In the original language, there's no verb. But we start to read there because it makes us feel a little better or you know, whatever it does. It, it's no, it's, it's submitting to your to your to one another out of reverence to Christ. And wives, this is how you do it. Husbands, this is how you do it. Mutual submission happens. It's important that we get that. Wives, submit to your husbands. Respect your husbands, etc. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's how you submit. It's not submissions for one gender, but not for the other. It's for both. Because that's the, so we're talking about Christ and the church, Scripture says. So there is mutual submission, but there's different ways you do it. And that's what we'll come to in a minute about this other main word that's important. So 
we need to understand that um, submission is a mutual thing of love and of grace. Remember, Paul's talking about Christ and the church. So wives, you submit to your husbands, respect and love and grace, and husbands, you submit to your wives by treating her like Jesus treated the church. That's important. That's how mutual submission happens. It's really important that we grasp that. And then we look at this thing called headship. Um, what's, this is, let me go back to submission for a minute. The word is hupotasso, which means to arrange yourself under, to stand under one another. So that's for the whole church, by the way. We stand under one another. We, we understand. We arrange around each other. And it's the same for husbands and wives in a marriage relationship. You, you arrange yourselves around each other. It's the word submission. Really important that we grasp that. And then we have this thing called headship. And there is in the scriptures a headship which is a male headship. You can't get away from that. There's, you know, Christ is the head, like, head, like Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. But please don't think of head as CEO. Don't think of head as dictator. Don't think of head as boss. Don't think of head as, as uh, you know, the authoritarian. It doesn't mean that. Think, think of head not as a CEO, but think of head as head of a river, which is the source. It's where the river gets its energy and its flow from. That's the role of the head. Think of us as it's about leadership and responsibility of the head, of the male. It's not about, you know, you're better than or you're whatever. Sometimes it's best to know what head does not mean. Headship does not mean. It does not mean ruling. It does not mean iron fist. It does not mean... Authoritarian it doesn't mean making all the decisions. It doesn't mean a wife can't work. It doesn't mean a wife can't earn more than a husband. That's crazy. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about leadership. It's about responsibility of the relationship, the ultimate responsibility. I'll tell you how this worked out for us in, 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 in one sense. I, I, can, I, uh, I can only remember, I can't remember, I can think of two times, but the second one's a bit, a bit hazy. But I remember once how this worked out in our relationship when we had to make a decision. Um, and it was a decision about um, uh, moving, moving into state and having to pick up an a, uh, educational, how, what were we going to do with the kids when we moved into state? Uh, we went from one ministry to the other, moving to Sydney from Melbourne, actually. And... Uh, we had to make a decision by a certain time because we were moving. And Chris and I disagreed. We disagreed about what, would, what should happen when we get to Sydney. And as time got closer, we still disagreed. And as we got in the car to drive, we still disagreed. And because of that, Chris said to me, because you are the ultimate leader, I'll go with it, even though I don't agree. And I said, because of the same reason, even though I don't feel like it, I'll take, the role. I'll take the role. That's what headship means. Not about you make a decision, and I think that's twice in 49 years, we've had to work at that. Most of the rest of the time, you collaborate. 
You submit to one another. What do you think? What do you think? What do you reckon? What, 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 would, what would that mean? What would that mean? So it's, it's, this headship is, is about responsibility. It's about leadership. It's not about authoritarianism or this role's for this, this role's for that. That's what headship means. Guys, we've got to lead, take responsibility for the marriages we're in. So it's, it's, it's important that we grasp those, those things. And we could talk a lot more about that, but I think those two issues of submission and headship, when we understand that, it's much more easy to live submitting to one another. It's much more easy to love the headship that a male has in a, in a, in a marriage relationship. It's important. So let, we can come back and do weeks on this, but we won't just right now. But, but uh, I want to share a few practical thoughts with you that have been helpful for us. So coming out of that sort of milieu of what that means, what submission means, what headship means, a couple of practical thoughts. Um, don't ask your spouse to do what only God can do. Sometimes we get into marriage and we expect perfection. We expect it's going to be all, can you say beer and Skittles here? It's all going to be all beer and Skittles. It's going to be all fantastic. There's going to be no problems. It's perfect. We're going to have a perfect marriage. It's going to be perfect kids, do perfect things. And we expect that our partner will be everything for us, and they won't be. You, may, you expect your spouse to be everything for you. You'll be really uh, disappointed. And, and, and we need to be honest about that. We just live in this bubble of perfection where we want people to think we, it's perfect for us. And, you know, what, when, it, when diplomacy replaces candor, um, everybody's nice, but nobody wins. That's what happens. And you walk on eggshells around people. Um, you've probably heard this phrase before, identifying what's a problem to be solved and what's a tension to be managed in your relationship. Really important. We under, need to understand in a relationship, what are the quirkinesses and the, and the strange parts about our partner? And what, what are they and how can I accept those? And here's the question, do I have to fix them? If you think your role is to fix your partner, your husband or your wife... That's a mistaken role. That's not your job. That's the Spirit of God's job. And, and uh, that's not your job at all. And we, we've had to do things um, differently. We are, I'm a verbal processor. Chris is an internal processor. So when she comes to a decision, she's made it up thinking about it a lot, lot of times, whereas I'm talking it out and haven't even got there yet. So, so you just got to work out how people are. We like different movies. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Bond fan. Chris is Pride and Prejudice. It's not a stereotype, it's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all of that. So you've just got to understand and don't try and change your partner. That'll be, that'll be crazy stuff to do that. Um, understand marriage has rhythms. There are rhythms, to, like there's rhythms to a year. Understand marriage has got rhythms to it. There's sometimes it's, it's fantastic and you feel like it's, it's wonderful and other times it's not so great. If I were to ask Chris, and I, I won't ask her publicly, but if I were to say to Chris, what was one of the rhythms that we had in, or one of the toughest times was our 26th wedding anniversary. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's a nod. We remember 26th wedding anniversary. Where it's one of those times where you choose to love each other, but you don't like each other. You ever found that in marriage? 
No, just me. Uh, you, you choose to love each other, but you don't actually like each other. I can remember saying at 26th wedding anniversary, of probably half a dozen kids by that stage, and saying, it's our wedding anniversary. We should go out, right? Yeah. Where we go? I don't care. We didn't really like each other, to be honest, at the 26th. But you, you press on because love overcomes like, but it's just got a rhythm to it. I don't know why that rhythm happened, whether they were just so busy or so whatever, but rhythm, like marriage has a, a rhythm to it. Uh, public praise, private criticism. Don't get into the high hand or, or the, the model of, you know, criticising your spouse to others. If there are things you need to address, address them. Public praise, you can praise them to others, but make sure it's private criticism. Otherwise, you actually hang out there some stuff which is difficult. Don't allow marriage to be a competition. Um, hang on, you do this, yeah, but you do that. Well, you do, you know, it becomes a competition. That's what can happen in a marriage relationship. Um, you, you can do that, uh, compete for attention. This often happens when little kids come on the scene where you feel like, hang on, I'm, I'm competing for time now. I'm competing for attention. Um, what happened to me kind of deal. Um, don't just accept stereotypes. Um, the stereotype is what everybody thinks things should be. And there are different ways of doing life. There are different ways of doing life in the kingdom of God. And under biblical, as I said before, Jesus did life and he brought the kingdom. He wasn't married. God, so he wouldn't be alone. He had 12 people who traveled around with him. Apostle Paul was the same. He had some traveling companions to be with him. There's different ways to do life and there's different ways to do marriage under the biblical understandings of submission and headship. There are different ways to do that. It's really important that we, that we grasp that. There's not one, one way that everybody does it. Um, it's not, not, not the way to do that at all. There are, we're very different people, and, and you probably are too in your relationship. Be wise, flexible, and intentional about spiritual development. Um, developing as a, as, a, as a couple who love Jesus together can be... Uh, sometimes one of the most difficult things. I'd have to be honest with you and say that some of the times in my life, in, in, in desiring spiritual um, nurture for my family, some of the hardest times in my life were family devotions. Can I say that? Where you can imagine there's 11 of us around the table. I'm, I'm thinking to myself now, we haven't done this for a few days. I need to get... Um, the kids together, and we're going to have a family devotion. I've thought about it, you know, um, planned it. Sitting, now kids, we've had tea, and this is going to be family devotion time. And then something happens. One kid says something or does something or knocks a glass over. And all of a sudden, all your plans go down the drain. And you, you're angry because you've planned this. It can get really... Um, Difficult, and you get some of my angriest times have been when I'm trying not to be trying to be most spiritual. You have to do what works, but you need to build a family unit and a marriage unit that works the best way to grow in your faith individually and together. And try don't be too stereotypical about that. Work out what works for you guys, and make that happen 
well. Um, it's important. Don't give up. Resilience and grit in marriage is really crucial. It's tempting to give up um, expectations around us, circumstances around us will will kind of say to us, just get out of it. It's just too hard. Um, Don't give up. I I understand there are situations where you have to. I get that. Um, I understand, you know, the best way to, the best antidote for a broken dream is to dream again, not to give up. It's to dream again. And it's important to do that. Last thing I'd just say in terms of um, marriage and relationships is have fun. Have fun. When I was 40 years of age, my dad, my dad was a really bad alcoholic. He died when I was 12 years of age and, and uh, of cirrhosis of the liver. And I remember making a choice at that point in time. Nothing to do with being a Christian because I wasn't. I just made a choice that I'm not going to get down that track. My two brothers went down that track and I chose not to. And, you know, so I, I didn't drink. It was just my choice and, um, because of what it did to our family. But I remember getting to the age of 40 and realising that I was a workaholic. And it's exactly the same disease. It's just a different agent. A much more respectable agent. A much better agent, you know, in terms of, you know, particularly in the church world. We kind of, uh, it's, it's a disease that we kind of silently applaud don't be a workaholic, but we're glad you are for us. And I realised that's, and I'd realised that we weren't having much fun. We're just working from one activity to the other. Just one thing. And I'd say in, in marriage, one of the things that really is going to help you most is have fun. Just enjoy things. I wish I'd have learned it long before 40. And I still, to be honest with you, I still struggle with that, with workaholism. 69 years of age, still struggle being a workaholic. It's just a, a, something that just grabs you. So have fun. Work out what you enjoy together and what you love to do and, and do lots of it. So I, marriage is a crucial relationship. And some of you heading towards it, some of you are in it, some of you have been in it for a long time, some of you it's been a, it's been a difficult relationship and some of you are not now. So I'm not wanting to... up hold um, pain and anguish that's, that's uh, there. I want, I want to recognise that and, and say, I, I get that. I, I get that. But if you are in that marriage relationship, make it count. Make a difference. Make a difference together. Make a difference individually. Um, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. Give to one another. Stand under, under for one another. Arrange yourselves for one another. Fellas, particularly take that leadership that's a healthy leadership. It's not an authoritarian leadership. It's a, it's a leadership responsibility in, in, in the marriage relationship. It's Jesus loved the church. What a responsibility to love the church. What a way to go. And I'm sure there's another dozen practicalities we could talk about if we had, but it's really important that we see what God is doing in marriages and make a difference in the world in which we live. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord, I'm very conscious of the fact that here today there are some of us who have experienced you know, a bad experience of, of marriage. Some of us here are not married, wish we were. 
Father, there's all sorts of mosaic of relationships in this room today. And I would pray, Lord God, that we will understand, for those of us who are married, we'll understand what it means to, I guess, see that um, aspirational picture, but know the reality of the real picture. And Lord, in a relationship where there is mutual submission and giving and surrendering to one another, which is part of the filling of your spirit in our lives. And in the, the responsibilities and the um, leadership that we need to express as guys in our marriage relationships, God, I pray that we will see health and wholeness and growth, impact and fun. And we'll see a difference that we can make because you've called us together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.